I can hear you saying, why is he wearing a life preserver? The boy thinks he's going to drown or what's going on here. But as you know, it's back to the future church here, all right? And I am Marty McFly today. Dustin bought this several weeks ago and never used it for whatever reason. And he said, you need to use this this week. And so here I am as Marty McFly uh, with a, with a uh, uh, life preserver. That's what it's called, yes, all right? And we've been blessed already, haven't we? Thank you so much, Chanel um, and, and Scott's message, be ready and... And, and also, Scott, you know, faith, let faith arise. And we're going to be talking about all those things today because, you know, God is good. And God is good all the time. And, and all the time, amen, amen, amen. Hey, uh, that Back to the Future series, this, this is the last week in our Back to the Future church. And so we want to make sure that we, we wear it out today. Maybe we could do that, all right? And we actually have George McFly over here. Stand up, George. It's that, his name is actually Matt. He wore this a couple, a few weeks ago. I said, whenever I'm preaching, you got to come up. Turn around, show him the back. McFly, all right? And one of, the, one of the more iconic quotes in that movie is whenever Biff Tannen, Tanner, Tannen, something like that, he, said, he gets after George, you know, he says something dumb, and now he said, he says, hello, hello, anybody at home? Anybody home? Think, McFly, think, McFly. Knock him on the head there. Thank you, Scott. All right. Appreciate it. All right. And I think that we've all had those kind of moments, haven't we? We've definitely had those, those kind of moments. Those moments like, Lorraine, you are my density, okay? Uh, I wish I would have started off my relationship with Audra with that. Audra, you are my density, okay? I know that I've been that for her many times. I've been her density, and she, she can tell you stories upon stories about that. And I was thinking about illustrations about, you know, think McFly, think, where we're just nobody's home. My son Brooks, we were on our way out to Iowa for a meal pack with Lifeline Christian Mission earlier this summer, and we were driving the box truck with all the supplies in it, and there's these cubby holes. Now, if you know Brooks and I, you know that we're going to have our sports uh, uh, gear with us, and so we had our basketball. We, we also brought our baseball stuff, and, and he shoved the baseball up there. About a couple hours into the trip, though, I don't know if I made a turn or a stop or I, I, I went, but all of a sudden, the ball falls out of that cubby hole, and it just nails Brooks right square on the head. I mean, uh, there had to be a little knot there. And I could tell that it hurt, but he was trying to play it off, you know, tough, tough guy. And uh, so anyways, it was, it, was, it was just a few minutes later, and I make a turn again or a stop again, and all of a sudden the ball comes flying out of that cubby hole again. And I thought, I looked at Brooks, I was like, you actually put it back up there, Brooks, really? You know, think, McFly, think. Is anybody home? And I know that thinking of illustrations for myself, uh, I could go on and on, but I, I settled on this one for myself, and there was d definitely several I could have, could have taken. But I was, on a, I was on a call with a telemarketer, and I was, trying to, um, I was trying to give her some information, and she was trying to spell it, and she said, I can remember what she said. She said, is that D as in dog? And, and it wasn't, it was B. And, and I'm not very good at this spelling thing. I've never really done that. You know, C as in cat, D as in dog. And, and, but it was a B. And the only thing that come to my mind was a bumblebee. And so I said, I, I literally said that. I said, I said, no, B as in B. Just like that. It's like B as in B, you moron. And uh, 
I was just like, I can't believe I just said that. You know, I think McFly, think McFly. Anybody home? All right. Uh, and my wife, Audra, she loves whenever I tell this story. We were, just, we were just first dating. We had only been dating for a little while. And we come to this stop sign. And uh, I remember I, I slowed down quite a bit, but I kind of rolled through it. I'm sure no one's ever done that here. And I just kind of rolled through it. And all of a sudden she said, she said, you know, there's a stop sign back there. And just instantly it came to my mind. It's like, I said, yeah, but the ones with white trim on them are optional. And I just, whatever. And she didn't say anything. So I, whatever. All right. Two weeks later, we come to a stop sign. And all of a sudden she goes, hey, all stop signs have white trim on them. And I was like, I was like, oh no, what have you been doing these last two weeks going through? How many stop signs have you gone through? But think, Audra, think. All right. No. But as we pick up in Acts 16, I'm going to take this off. They made me wear this the whole sermon. I was soaked at the end, all right? That was not smart. I'm taking this off now. Okay. That's why at the end of the sermon, I was like, think, Andre. Don't ever do that again. All right. As we pick up in Acts 16, Paul is still on a second missionary journey. And last week, we learned how God shuts so many doors. Don't go here. Don't go here. But this is where year to go. And he's with his companions, Silas, Timothy, um, and Luke. And today in Acts 16, he's going to, God's going to open doors. All right. He's going to open them. Last week was no, no, go. This week is go, go, no. And God has led Paul and his crew to Philippi. And this is a big moment in the gospel. This is a big moment for the church. This is a big moment that the gospel is being taken into Europe for the very first time. And just think how the impact it's had on Europe through the years. God's penetrated Europe. And, and Philippi today is just a small town in Greece. But back then it was one of the leading cities in Macedonia. And their visit there was significant. And this trip, they would found the church in Philippi. And this was about 50 or 51 AD. And Paul loved the church in Philippi. Paul loved that church in Philippi. Ten years later, he would write this letter to Philippi, which we call Philippians, all right? And it was called the Book of Joy. Even though Paul was writing this book of joy, this letter to the, to the uh, church in Philippi, he was writing it from prison in Rome. And yet there was so much joy filled in this letter to Philippi. And the church in Philippi loved Paul. Paul wrote the letter on a response to a gift that they had given him. And he told them, he left them with this. Hey, I'm sending my brother Timothy. I'm sending my brother Epaphroditus to you to encourage you. And it all starts, the church all starts with this prominent merchant, this prominent businesswoman named Lydia, who was a dealer in fine cloth. And she was probably very rich. She hears and she responds to the message and was baptized, her and her whole household. And then Lydia persuades the, them to stay. She, he persuades, she persuades Paul and his companions to stay there at her house, and it buys them time to stay in Philippi and preach the gospel. And that's where we start in Acts 16, 16 through 34. And it says this. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who, was, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune teller, telling. Remember that statement. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. 
She followed Paul and the rest of shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, I love this, finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. I love it that it says that Paul is just annoyed with this lady. I mean, she is sharing the right message. These are servants of the Most High God. All right, they're telling you the way to be saved. But Paul was like, enough already. Okay, we get it. Paul's like, hey, we're not with this lady. All right, we're not with her. Right message, wrong messenger. And we also need to realize that inscribed on the arches outside the city of Philippi was a prohibition against any unrecognized religion, religion being shared inside the city limits. And Paul very well very well have been saying, are you serious? Not, not again. We're, we're trying to be a little discreet here. We want to be able to share without getting arrested today, all right? Without getting arrested today. We want to be able to share this gospel with those that need to hear it. And this next part reminds me just how, how he, you know, he cast this demon out, and he, there's probably a little bit of regret about what happens next. And it reminds me of my friend Brian. I'll never forget, we were playing basketball in high school, at our church, which we would do three or four nights a week, and then we'd go over to my house for some, uh, for some pizza or something. We'd hang out. We did that way too much. Anyways, we were coming out of the church, and we were probably talking, we were probably laughing, and all of a sudden, we heard this kid crying out there, and we didn't, I didn't think anything of it, but I just remember my, my friend Brian, he, he was always kind of tried to be a tough guy. At least he talked a tough game. And all of a sudden, come out of his mouth, to this kid crying, shut up, just like that, just told this kid to shut up, and, and, the, and all of a sudden it was quiet, all right, the kid actually was quiet, and, but the next thing we hear is uh, this deep, gruff voice, what'd you say, and Brian, Brian goes, oh dang it, just like, oh dang it, and, you know, just, we're gonna get in trouble, let's get out of here, guys, all right, and I think that Paul had those same feelings whenever he cast this demon out. And he knew that it was going to cause a ruckus because in verse 19 it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. Oh, dang it. And dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice which was true, but these men didn't care about what they were preaching. They didn't care about the city rules. They didn't even care about the girl that was making them so much money. They only cared about themselves. They only cared about their pocketbooks. And it says that the crowd joined them in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Oh, dang it. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet and in the stocks. Oh, dang it. But about midnight, Paul and Silas, they're crying out to the Lord, why? Why us? No, that's the exact opposite message that they were crying out. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was, was shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. What? Wait a, wait a second. Last week, Dustin talked about how God shut these doors. All right? He shut these doors and finally told them to go. But this week, he is opening doors. In fact, he's not only opening doors. These doors are flying open. The chains and shackles are severed off of their feet and off of their arms. And the situation goes from grim to get out of there. And they don't go anywhere. And it's like, hello, hello, is anybody home? Think, Paul, think. Why don't you make like a tree and get out of there, Paul? We're going to wear out the back to the future quotes here. But they don't go anywhere. What would cause them to say, what, what? Why would they care about this jailer who put them in the darkest, innermost cell, fastened to shackles, all after getting beat down? This guy doesn't give a rip about them at all. Just get out of there. Just get out of there. God, open the doors that are flying open. Get out of there. And why at midnight? Why at midnight after being beaten down and thrown in the innermost, darkest cell are they singing praise songs to God? And what could Paul and Silas be singing that would cause the other prisoners to not only take notice but listen and cause them also to stay? And I'm sure it wasn't Paul and Silas' voices. Hey guys, let's, let's make a break for it. No, 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 no. I'm not going anywhere. Paul and Silas, they're having a great version of Jailhouse Rock right now, all right? This is good stuff. We're not going anywhere. I'm sure it wasn't their voices. It wasn't their singing, but it was rather this song. It was what they were singing, it was why they were singing, it was where they were singing, it was when they were singing. And I know that every Monday morning at staff meeting, we talk about the passage that we're going to be talking about this, the coming Sunday. And this week uh, in our staff meeting, Dustin just made mention that this, in Philippians 2, there's a song recorded that very well could have been the song that Paul was singing in that cell that night. In Philippians 2, the words of that song go like this, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that, every, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They were singing the gospel, and the good news of Jesus Christ changes people, it changes their hearts from the inside out. It changes how they view situations. It changes how they view people. And I mean, look what the good news did to Paul. In Philippians 3, 
He's trying to warn the church in Philippi against these Judaizers that were saying that the only way for righteousness is to follow the law. And Paul says, no, no, wait, wait. Our righteousness doesn't come from the law, but our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 3, Paul shares his story, his testimony, his only God can story. And he says this, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, as is custom in Jewish culture, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a very prominent tribe, the first tribe to go back uh, to Israel after the exile, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, I kept, I kept every law there was. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. There was nothing that people could say against me. Paul was the man. And of course, then it was Saul. But people would see Saul and they said, hey, that's what it means to be a Jew. That's what it means to be a follower of God. Parents would look at him walking down the street and they would tell their sons, hey, be like him. Try to emulate him. He's got it all. He was kind of the Michael Jordan of Jews. He would be the one that was signing the autographs. But he goes on to say this about his life before he knew Christ. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. A few years ago at Summer in the Sun, we would take a bunch of students down to Summer in the Sun at Kentucky Christian University. I, took one of the, I was in one of the breakout sessions, and I, I recognized the guy that was leading the session. And, um, and guy is the right word to way to put it because his last name was Guy. My senior pastor growing up, his name was Art Guy. And um, I was like, I, that's got to be relation. So I went up to him afterwards. I introduced myself and just said, hey, by any chance, do you know who Art Guy is? And he says, yeah, that's my grandfather. And so we, we talked a little bit about his family or whatnot. And he said, I'm going I'm to tell my dad that I saw you. And so the next day he comes back to me. He says, he says, hey, I, I let my dad know that I, I met you, and uh, he responded back, and he showed me this text, and it said, it said from, his, from his father, he was a good basketball player, or he is a good basketball, he was a good basketball player, would be more appropriate. And I just remember that message hitting me like a ton of bricks, because I would have done anything. In my younger days, to hear those words. Now, Andre's a good athlete. He's a good ball player. But it was almost an insult. I'm a servant of the Most High God. And all those accomplishments outside of 
that is garbage, it's rubbish, it's meaningless. There's only one thing that's going to matter in the end, and that's my relationship with Jesus Christ and putting him first. I mean, what are we known for? What are you known for? And the only thing that's going to matter is that identity that you have in Jesus Christ. And the energy that you put into him. Actually, you put into him. And Paul understood this completely. Paul understood that, hey, I want Christ. And I want only Christ. I can, it goes on to say, I consider them garbage. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the only thing that is going to save me. It's not my works, not what I've done, not my accomplishments. But it's all because of Jesus Christ and my trust and my faith in him. A few weeks ago, we took our students to Cedar Point, and my son Brooks decided to go. I was really excited that he was going to go. I was a little nervous because he's not a roller coaster rider. I don't know that he's ever been on a roller coaster in his life. And so I thought we were just, I was going to sit with Brooks all day and watch everyone go on roller coasters. But we started off on the blue streak. If you've ever been to Cedar Point, the blue streak is basically like swing set, merry-go-round, blue streak, okay? It's not a very tough ride. And there's some great roller coasters there. And Brooks got a little bit of confidence by going on the blue streak, and we were able to get him to go on the Maverick. Now, the Maverick is pretty fast. It's a pretty scary ride. And uh, I could tell that Brooks was nervous. He had about an hour to think about this, and, and I was surprised. He actually got out in there. Got in it, got buckled in. We could not get that harness tight enough, all right? That belt tight enough. And I can remember going up to that first hill. I'm sitting beside him, and I put my hand on him. And I thought this would secure, give him a little bit more security. And I grabbed a hold of his shirt, a little more security for Brooks. Really, it was, he's not a big dude, all right? And so I, it, was, it was security for me as well. I did not want him going out of that, out of that seat. And as we went down... I mean, he's screaming, and I look over, and there's times when he's laughing and having fun, but there was also times when he thought he was going to die. And I'm not, I mean, it was no joke. He was, he thought he was dead, all right? And, uh, and but we finally made it through it. We made it through it. We're stopped, and all of a sudden, when we're stopped, everyone else is cheering, and all of a sudden, Brooks raises his hand, and he says, I'm alive! I'm alive! He, he said it like 10 times. I'm alive! All right? He was so thankful that he was alive. But once you get in those rides and you go on them and on them again, you will start to put that trust in those harness. You're not going anywhere. And you start to say, hey, take me on something faster. Take me on something higher. And this was Paul in life. Let's go higher, let's go faster, let's go further, let's go deeper. I don't care the risk. I know that God's got me. I am on his anointed mission. I just want to be obedient to him. I don't care what happens to me. I know that God is in control. He's got me. Because I know that there's always blessing behind obedience. And I know that God's way is always the best way. I don't care the cost. I don't care the risk. And he says this in verse 
uh, verse 10 and 11 in Philippians 3, it says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, become, becoming like him even in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is Paul's life mission. I want to know Christ, not just know about Christ. I want to know him. I want to know what made him tick. I want to know what made him love his enemies and what made him forgive his oppressors. Why would he leave the 99 and go after that one that was lost? Why would he run after and throw a party for the prodigal son who had betrayed him? Why? Let's go deeper. And he says, I want, to, I want to be like Christ. I don't care what the cost is. Less of me and more of him. Suffering, persecution, death. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's go faster. I want to fulfill Christ's purpose in my life. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. What do you want me to do? I'll do. Who do you want me to love? I'll love. Where do you want me to go? I'll go. Let's go further. Let's go faster. Let's go higher. I want to be with Christ forever. I press on to take hold of the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Why am I here and how can I live forever? Those are questions that every man, every woman since the beginning of time has asked. And every single time, Jesus is the answer to those two questions. Jesus is the answer when you're on your highest mountaintops or going through your lowest valleys. Do you believe that he's the answer for that prominent business person that seems to have it all but just doesn't have enough and it cannot satisfy like Lydia. He's the answer for the oppressed, the possessed, the addict, the junkie, the down and out like the demon-possessed girl. He's the answer in our midnight hour, in our darkest times like those inmates along with Paul and Silas. He's the answer. Jesus is the answer for those who have zero hope and nowhere to turn. And in this case, the jailer. In Acts 16, the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked this question, Sir, what must I do to be saved? It's been asked a billion times. What do I need to do to be saved? Each one of us has asked that question and the answer was simple from Paul. It wasn't, hey, you need to stop cussing. You need to stop beating people. You need to treat your family and your, your, your friends better. No, the answer was simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I'll say it again. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately him and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had become, he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. 
Jesus is the answer. And it was Paul's faith in Jesus that allowed him to trust to the point where he was able to say, God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Even in his darkest hour. And when we know that, when we know God is good, when we believe that, when we trust that, when we put our faith in that God is a good God, that he loves us, and he is in control, he's in charge following him, just seems like the logical thing to do. It's not such a leap of faith. I was talking to Rob Tolliver last Sunday, and uh, he just came up to me and just said, hey, be praying. They're considering getting the prison ministry back up and going, and um, I'd love to get back in there. And uh, him and Mike Carter, and I know several others have been part of that prison ministry, and what a great ministry that is. We started talking about that prison ministry, and Rob said, you know, at first, that first time, I was scared to death. I was scared to death. But Rob went anyways. Rob went anyways, and now... He can't wait to get back over there. And what would make you go into a prison voluntarily? True calling. True faith. True purpose. Sharing the gospel. Living out what God's called you to be. So many times we think of the Bible and we look at all these special characters of the Bible, these special people, that they have to be different from us. And so we decide God probably wants us, wants with us a different type of relationship, probably more indirect, more impersonal, more non-reciprocal. So, you know, we'll go to church, we'll read our Bible a bit, but when we'll get on with our lives. And if that were true, that would mean this. That would mean that God's purpose in bringing us these stories of these men was simply to demonstrate something unattainable, a divine taunt. And it would reveal a desire to impress upon us how special were his biblical supermen. So we'd gaze upon them and wonder why he created us so unsuper. What can I do for God? I'll tell you that he desires for each one of us to have, and only God can, life. God not only wants us to have a faith, but he also desires for us to be faithful, no matter the cost. Everyone wants a Savior, but not everyone wants to be Lord of their life, to put him in control, to put him in the driver's seat. Salvation is absolutely free, but there is definitely a cost to following him. There's a cost to being like Christ, though there's a cost to fulfilling his purpose. In the past few weeks we've seen some only God can stories of ladies that have said absolutely yes I'll go absolutely yes I'll step out in faith and they're on their way to the mission field and there is no real difference between being a Christian and being a disciple if you call yourself a Christ follower then 
follow Christ. It's that simple. And there absolutely should be some cost to it. There should be some unknown to it. It should look a little crazy to the outside world. The Bible says that the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is impossible to please God without faith, according to Hebrews 11.6. And it is pleasing to God when? It is pleasing for God, pleasing to God for us to be who we're created to be. It's pleasing to God whenever we go where we're called to go. It's pleasing to God whenever we bless who we're told to bless. It's pleasing to God to do what we were made to do. St. Irenaeus said this in the second century. He said this. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. And we can't be fully alive without faith, without trust in him. If we have a faith of a mustard seed, that turns into faithfulness, we'll be able to move mountains. And I don't want God to look down on our lives and what we're doing and how we're living and what we're saying and who we're hanging out with and the decisions we're making and have to say, hello, hello, is anybody at home? God wants us to say yes. He wants us to say yes to his calling, yes to his adventure. He wants us to put our faith in him so that when the winds and the waves and the storms of life come, that we have our foundation firmly in him and we'll be able to exclaim, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. God, you've got this. Put my trust in you. I know you got me. Let's go higher. Let's go faster. Let's go deeper. Let's go further. In John 10, 10, it says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and live it abundantly. I don't want to settle for a second-rate blessing. I don't want to settle for a second-rate adventure. I don't want to settle for a second-rate version of the life that God has called me to live. I want to put my trust fully in him, to put my faith fully in him. I want to go higher. I want to go faster. I want to go deeper. I want to be where God wants me to be, and that might be in the innermost cell in the darkest place. But even then, God can use me. I pray to have that kind of faith, to know that God is good all the time. Maybe there's somebody here today that's just never said absolutely yes. I'm, I want to be all in. I need to be all in for him. I've been settling too long. And if that's you, I, I urge you to come forward and say yes to him. To put your trust, to put your faith in him. Or maybe there's somebody here that just needs prayer. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. I need help. Absolutely, we all need help. Absolutely, we all need Jesus to intervene every single day of our lives. Would you pray with me? And if that's you, I just invite you to come forward. To come forward and um, allow us to pray with you. Allow us to get you back on track. Allow Jesus to come and intervene. Because we know that God is good, and He's good all the time.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can get into your scriptures today and how they speak to our hearts and to where we're at. And they give us a great challenge. We know that you're just not good for just Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, but you're good today. And you got a plan for us today. That you called us to a, a life in you that is grand and is a great adventure. Not easy, but good. And there's a great reward at the end. I thank you so much for how you love us. You care for us. And I just pray a blessing on each one as we go from here. Help us to shine bright for you this week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.